Welcome to the Herbal Astrology Podcast with Jules Benefico and Tony Latimer. Each episode, we give an astrological forecast for the next two weeks and discuss how it relates to our physical, mental, and emotional well-being, as well as how we can use herbal alchemy to support ourselves through the upcoming astrological aspects and transits. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm an astrologer in the tropical tradition, and I write a blog called Moving On with Astrology about planetary transits and aspects in the Placidus House system. Hi, I'm Jules. I'm a clinical herbalist and transformation coach who weaves medical astrology, alchemy, and shadow work into my practice and courses, and I mentor herbalists and other healers to become empowered and confident practitioners. We met at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California in 2014 while living there as extended students working on our personal growth and soaking in the hot springs under the stars. Welcome to episode seven of the Herbal Astrology Podcast. We are recording this episode on the eve of the second new moon in Aries of 2023, which is also a total solar eclipse square Pluto in Aquarius. Mercury goes retrograde in less than two days from now. And I just want to ask everyone, like, are you feeling the shadow yet? Because I sure am. And Mercury actually goes retrograde on the day that we release this episode uh, on Friday, April 21st. So please stay safe out there. Another show note I want to give is that uh, in episode five, I mentioned scheduling my massage license exam for the day Mars would be conjunct my midheaven. And well, that day was Monday, April 17th, and I passed. So this stuff actually works, like timing your life by astrology really does work. And I used a lot of what Camille Kraft spoke about in that episode regarding ritual. So if you haven't listened to episode five yet, I highly recommend listening to it. Um, There's a lot of good information on how to incorporate astrology and ritual into your personal practice. And hopefully, like, attain success for yourself in the same way that I feel I've attained success by passing this exam. One last show note, please leave us a rating on whatever platform you are using to listen to your podcasts. And if you're feeling generous, please write us a review. It really does help us to gain visibility on the platforms. So thank you in advance. Now, regarding the next two weeks covered in today's forecast... Nothing is transitioning into a new sign, except the moon, as always. She's always transitioning into new signs. So woohoo, no major changes over the next couple of weeks astrologically. And then we have no aspects happening in the first week that's covered by our forecast. So this will probably be a very short episode and a little more free-flowy than usual. So to start the forecast... From Saturday, April 22nd until Monday, May 1st, nothing big is happening astrologically, aside from the normal like lunar transits and aspects and a few sextiles and Mars square Chiron, none of which we are going to get into on this episode. So let's just go ahead and dive into the second week that's covered by our forecast, starting with Monday, May 1st, which is Beltane. And 
Jules and I both identify as witches. So this is a big holiday for us. It's my personal favorite witchy holiday along with Samhain. Um, and let's be real, all of the solstices and equinoxes. So, you know, I have many favorites, but Beltane is a favorite holiday for me. And Beltane happens midway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. So it's the midpoint between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. And we celebrate it on May 1st. And also, like, how is it even possible that we're already covering the middle of spring in this episode? Feels like spring just started. When I think of Beltane, I think of flowers, I think of dancing, I think of love in full bloom and sexual awakening and, you know, the mother in her maiden form. So we call the triple goddess maiden mother crone. And uh, to me, Beltane is really like a celebration of the goddess in her maiden form. This is just, yeah, a full-on joyful celebration of spring. And I'm going to leave it at that because I know that Jules has a lot more to say than I do about Beltane. So also on May 1st, Pluto goes retrograde, starting the long, slow slide backward into Capricorn. And it will actually go back into Capricorn on June 11th to stay until early next year, January 20th of 2024. And then Uh, After this retrograde period that will result in some months of Pluto and Capricorn, we'll have one more retrograde period during which Pluto slides back into Capricorn. And it will be in Capricorn starting September 1st, 2024, until it slides into Aquarius for good on November 19th, 2024. So remember that date. November 19th, 2024 is when Pluto will be in Aquarius for the next 20 years. We already covered Pluto in Aquarius in depth on episode four, but we will continue to cover it play by play because again, it's going to go back and forth between Aquarius and Capricorn for the next couple of years. And it's going to feel like a seesaw, like on a societal, on like a global level, going back and forth between these two signs. So what are we going to see from these last gasps of Pluto in Capricorn. You know, after Pluto goes back into Cap on June 11th through January of next year, I expect to see a lot of attempts from the upper echelons of society to consolidate their wealth, wealth hoarding. I think we'll see a lot of that. Uh, I think there's a possibility to see a brief recovery in the stock market and maybe interest rates lowering. But again, this is going to be like the last gasps of Pluto in the material sign of Capricorn, which is like, to me, Capricorn is the heaviest, like most material of the Earth signs. My friend Nate's partner, Mary Ellen, recently pointed out to me that Pluto goes into Aquarius for good in November of 2024. And I know I've already said the dates for that, but like, I didn't realize that it was going to be uh, in November of 2024 until Mary Ellen told me. And like November 19th, 2024 is exactly two weeks after the next U.S. presidential election on November 5th. So this gives me a lot of pause. I'm, I'm really curious 
to hear any listener takes on how you think this transit might manifest in November of 2024. So if you want to, I, I know that through certain platforms, you can like leave us a voice message or a written message. Also, uh, if you want to reach out to us at the podcast email address, please do so at the herbal astrology podcast at gmail.com. And again, I'm just, I'm very interested if anybody has any takes on how they think Pluto in Aquarius might manifest in November of 2024. Moving on, also on May 1st, we have the sun going conjunct Mercury in Taurus. And this is while Mercury is retrograde. So the sun's moving forward, Mercury's moving backward. They're going to meet up in the sign of Taurus. Uh, On episode four, we talked about Mercury conjunct the sun in Pisces on March 17th, and that conjunction happened while Mercury was moving forward. So this conjunction only, you know, four weeks, five weeks later is going to be a rewind on whatever was happening then. What we talked about in that episode, in episode four, as far as the Sun-Mercury conjunction goes, it, it's a representation of the ego and the mind being in alignment. So a lot of mental clarity comes with that conjunction when Mercury is moving forward. So whatever was clear to you during that conjunction back in March is going to be rehashed or revisited. And it may become like unclear or murky due to Mercury's retrograde period. You may find yourself second guessing yourself. So something that you've had clarity on for all these weeks, uh, you may find yourself revisiting and thinking, oh, well, maybe I'm not as clear as I thought I was. I'm going to leave it there and hand over to Jules, all of the lovely stuff that's happening for us on May 1st. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate you sharing. Yes, excited for Beltane, also one of my favorite holidays of the year, because it's a time of kind of sexuality and sensuality and running around naked in the woods is kind of the ultimate symbol, I think, of Beltane. Not that I've actually ever done that, but I think it would be cool at one point, (laughs) at some point to try that. Um, So yeah, Beltane is a pagan festival or Celtic. It's also known as May Day or May Eve, and it's also celebrated on the last day of of April. So it kind of goes from sundown on April 30th to during the day on May 1st. And it's really about the abundance of spring and the coming of summer. It's a time to welcome the warmth of the sun, the blooming flowers, and the renewal of life. And one of the main themes of Beltane is fertility. It's a time to celebrate the union of the god and goddess traditionally, uh, which represents the fertile energy that brings forth new life. And it really is a time to honor the earth and the natural cycles of life, death, and rebirth, and the abundance and beauty of nature, and also giving gratitude for for all of the abundance that nature offers. Something that I think is cool is that Beltane is often associated with the fae or fairies in pagan folklore. And so the fae are 
like supernatural beings that inhibit the natural world and are associated with magic, mischief, as well as fertility. And Beltane is correlated to the Fae because it's a time when the veil between worlds is believed to be thin. So in addition to Beltane, Samhain, which is Halloween time, is when the veil between worlds is thin and, you know, we think about ghosts and spirits. And then in the spring, when the veil between worlds is thin, we get fairies. So there's more mischief in the air, and it's believed that the fae can more easily cross over into the physical world and interact with humans. Another reason that the fae are connected to Beltane is that it's a time of joy and celebration, and the fae are often depicted as very playful and mischievous beings, and they like to dance and have fun and revel in the moment and, you know, participate in festivities. Something else that I want to mention, Beltane, in my opinion, and from having an understanding of it, can be kind of riddled with heteronormative symbolism. And so there's a lot of different ways this looks like. Um, in the tradition, it's the goddess and the green man coming together uh, to consummate the feminine and the masculine, coming together and kind of giving birth to new life. And so that's kind of what, what Beltane represents. And essentially, you know, we've probably heard of maypoles, like people dancing around the maypole, which is like a long pole with flags at the end of it that are different colors and it's really pretty and people wear flower crowns and it's it's a beautiful tradition and the maypole is a phallic shaped pole that goes into the earth and that represents the union of the masculine and the feminine so yeah i just want to like honor and acknowledge that this holiday hasn't always felt inclusive to queer folks and so I think it's important to note that there also is a queer perspective of Beltane that acknowledges and celebrates more diverse identities and experiences. And I think that it can actually be viewed as a celebration of liberation and sexuality. So yeah, some queer interpretations of Beltane can focus on the themes of transformation and rebirth and the ways in which LGBTQ plus people have had to navigate complex and challenging journeys of you know, self-expression. And it can be really this time to be, to embrace the parts of ourselves that we may have suppressed or denied and celebrate that journey of becoming one's true self. And yeah, I think like, incorporating queerness into Beltane ceremonies or like rituals is really beautiful and that this yeah the celebration is is for everyone even though there is a lot of heteronormative symbolism it's also about sexuality and liberation and fertility of new life so yeah I hope that that is a helpful perspective for people to gain a few more things on Beltane I have a lot to say is um, that this time of year is also just really good for 
romance and engaging in weddings and ceremonies, but traditionally hand fasting ceremonies was a way that people incorporated the elements of nature with the sacredness of commitment. And yeah, there's multiple ways of doing a hand fasting ceremony, but you've you know probably seen it in movies and TV shows of two people like putting their arms together and then you know tying a bow or a knot around it and traditionally a hand fasting ceremony represented a year and a day of commitment and then after that time you would reassess and see if people still wanted to be with each other which I think is pretty cool and queer that we don't need to make like a lifetime commitment it can be you know, a year and a day, and then we'll reassess. Hand fasting ceremonies are really beautiful. And I did one at my wedding. And also, if you're not planning to get married, it can be like a nice way to have some sweet commitment in like a ceremonial way. So that's a little bit about that. And so there are many herbs that can be worked with for Beltane, lots of flowers. It's definitely like a floral sweet, sensual holiday. The herb that I'm going to talk about is hawthorn. You can work with leaves and flowers, but berries are the most common. The Latin name, the genus is Crataegus, and uh, there's a variety of species. And it is correlated to Beltane because it is said to have been used to create the first fire on this holiday, which is a festival of fire. And it was also believed that the hawthorn tree was able to guard the entrance to the other world and as a path for the dead to travel to the afterlife. Also, that is where the Fae have been known to congregate around hawthorn trees, especially those in you know, more sacred woods or older ancient woods. Yeah, so hawthorn is a symbol of fertility and and protection. The tree has some sharp thorns on it, which are known to provide protection against negative energies and bad spirits. The flowers of the hawthorn tree are associated with fertility and are sometimes used in love spells. So as far as the medicinal qualities, hawthorn berries can be made in a tea or a tincture, or you can make a cordial or a syrup with it. And they're super tasty. They have tons of medicinal qualities. But hawthorn is most known for the heart. And it is a cardiovascular tonic. It's known to be blood pressure regulating. And it has a variety of other uses. In traditional Chinese medicine, it's used as a digestive aid. But in Western herbalism, we most often work for it for heart issues, calming the nervous system, and it's one of the most powerful allies for grief and brokenheartedness and mending after going through something traumatic. So it's very tender and loving and sweet and is for all matters of the heart, both physically and energetically. And there's much, much more I can say about Hawthorne actually earlier this year wrote about a 25-page paper on Hawthorne, just like a, a research article that I guess at some point I should post somewhere <laughs> so people can see it. Um, but yeah, so that's a little bit about Beltane and Hawthorne. And since I said so much, I'll try to keep 
the rest a little bit brief uh, just quickly on Pluto retrograde in Aquarius. To me, I think that this is a really good opportunity for collective healing and mutual aid because so often, you know, even in this podcast, but in general, we're focused on our own personal healing journeys, which is important because when we are more healed within, we have more capacity and space to support other people as well. But I think it's important to not only just be focusing on ourselves, but tending to collective healing as well. And there are so many amazing grassroots organizations nowadays, and there's always opportunities to volunteer. I know in the Bay Area, there are tons of herbal first aid clinics and other mutual aid organizations. And a lot of these are supporting underserved and unhoused folks in, in this area. And, you know, wherever you are in the world, I'm sure that there's an organization you can get involved with. So, yeah, I think that for this Pluto retrograde, it's a really good opportunity to focus on collective healing. And that will, you know, send a ripple effect that is really beautiful. And then Sun conjunct Mercury and Taurus, because Mercury will be in retrograde during this transit, it will be a lot of Taurus energy without the usual communication skills that Mercury holds. So stubbornness may be a bit inflated, laziness may come up more, but it's also the energy to relax and slow down, go inward. We kind of need it after the wild and chaotic energy of Aries season and then the Aries solar eclipse which is happening today when we're recording this and just the past few weeks has been super chaotic and will probably continue to be the next two weeks. So I think the Taurus energy will be welcome. You know, good opportunity, take more baths, drink luxurious cocktails while basking in the sun. I think are some nice ways to treat ourselves after all of this upheaval. Yeah, so in medical astrology, this aspect could look, you know, kind of like physical stagnation. Uh, But also while Mercury is in Taurus, the ears are often a bit more sensitive, hearing issues could occur, pain in the ears, and also difficulty with speech and hoarseness when speaking. So the herb that I'm recommending for this aspect is thyme. And thyme is an herb of mercury. Most people already have it in their kitchen, so it's really accessible. You can gargle with it in salt water to clear a sore throat. It's also very antiseptic in case of respiratory infection is coming on. It's also a mouthwash and can be used for sore and inflamed gums because Taurus also rules the teeth. And it is one of the strongest herbal antibiotic herbs available, which is good to know in case an infection ever arises. Again, time is connected with Mercury, and so it has that association with communication, intellect, and mental clarity. And so I think it'll it'll be a great herb to work with. You could work with it in essential oil as well. Just make sure to dilute it or incorporate it into some of your food so that you have those enhanced communication skills and have that nice flavor coming to you. So yeah, that's a little bit about May 1st. Lots going on that day. Wow. I really like what you said about Taurus 
energy, like the, the Taurus energy in that sun Mercury conjunction, bringing laziness and that this energy will be welcome. Like, yes, let's all just collectively slow down for a while and take the Taurus approach slow and steady. I also really appreciated, like, thank you so much for such an in-depth discussion of Beltane. Yeah. Let's go run naked through the woods together, Julie. I'll catch a flight out to SFO next weekend and we can Let's like do it. <laughs> run through a redwood grove and exactly. Yeah, that sounds lovely. I need it right now. Yeah, completely. And when you were talking about liberation and sexuality and like inclusive celebrations of Beltane, it made me think of Wolf Creek. Have you ever heard of Wolf Creek in Oregon? No, that was like how I found out about Beltane to begin with. But it's this like I don't want to misspeak, so I'm not going to say very much about it. But it sounds like a queer commune and their celebrations of Beltane and the Samhain sound like absolutely wild. So, yeah, check it out. Anyone listening who's interested in wild, like queer, inclusive celebrations of pagan holidays, Wolf Creek in Oregon. Love it. Very cool. Okay, moving on to Thursday, May 4th, we have Venus in Gemini forming a square with Neptune in Pisces. Now, this is the waxing square following their conjunction on February 15th that we covered in episode two. And this is going to be a challenging aspect between two very feminine planets. This is the first square in a Venus-Neptune cycle that started with that conjunction on February 15th, which again, we covered in episode two. So if you're curious to know more about Venus-Neptune conjunctions, go back and listen to episode two. And if you'll remember, when we talked about that conjunction, we talked about having rose-colored glasses on when it comes to love and relationships. Well, perhaps with this square, those glasses are going to slip off a little and you'll become aware of a reality in your relationship that you were avoiding or not acknowledging before. So yeah, this is going to be a challenging aspect for love, feelings, romantic relationship, especially a relationship or a situationship that might have started by falling in love with an ideal version of the other person. Uh, you know, it's like it's like when you're rolling on MDMA and you're in love with everyone and everything because you're seeing the world through MDMA glasses. Yeah, this Venus-Neptune square is going to be those glasses coming off just a little. Venus is in an analytical air sign, Gemini. So perhaps you'll be able to take an honest look at your lover or your partner's flaws. And to put a positive spin on it, this is going to be a really good time to like check yourself in relationship. Check yourself for any delusions or delusional expectations that you have when it comes to love and relationship. Uh, delusions that come especially with Neptune's influence. So Jules, what do you have to say about this Venus-Neptune square? 
Thank you, Tony. Appreciate you sharing. So yeah, this Venus and Gemini square Neptune and Pisces. For what I'm seeing with this is Venus and Gemini represents a need for mental stimulation, communication, and variety within relationships. And this can lead to a tendency towards overthinking, which can impact the nervous system and lead to stress-related health concerns. And then Neptune in Pisces represents a desire for spiritual connection, empathy, and creative expression. However, it can also create a tendency towards escapism and self-deception, which can lead to unhealthy mechanisms. So when these two are coming together in a square, there can be conflict between the need for mental stimulation and the desire for spiritual connection, leading to a feeling of disconnection and confusion. And it's possible that this could manifest in physical health issues related to the respiratory system, such as allergies, as well as the immune system uh, with issues and sensitivities. The respiratory system um, has a connection to Gemini and the immune system with especially the lymph is associated with Pisces. In addition, the nervous system, you know, could be extra impacted with just kind of the stress of these coping mechanisms coming up and, um, you know, more anxiety and insomnia could come up or the propensity can lead into addictive or other unhealthy patterns because that feeling of disconnection is coming through. So to manage these with self-care, I would recommend, you know, meditation and creative expression, really trying to focus on healthy communication within relationships uh, to promote both mental clarity as well as emotional understanding. And it may also be helpful to avoid substances and behaviors that could lead to those feelings of escapism and, you know, seek professional support from any type of practitioner that you're interested in working with. So for this square, I really recommend working with passion flower. The botanical name is Passiflora incarnata. And this plant is corresponding to both Venus and Neptune. So I thought it was appropriate. It brings soft, sweet, calming energy, and it also holds complexity. Visually, this flower has depth and intricacy, which with the energies of Gemini and Pisces aspecting, it's perfect. So Pisces is all about connection to dreams and other realms, while Gemini yearns for intellectual depth. Both will find alignment with passion flower. The white and purple flower is corresponded with purity, and I think of passion flower as one of the go-to herbs to connect with the energy of the divine. And, you know, from a clinical herbal perspective, the main actions of passion flower is that it's a nervine, which means that it has an effect on the nervous system. It's sedative, which means it helps to support sleep. And then hypnotic, which means really helps a deeper, more restful sleep. And passion flower, I use a lot in my practice, in, especially in, in sleep formulas, 
I also use it in menstrual cramp formulas because it's antispasmodic, so it helps with muscle spasms and other types of cramps. Yeah, but it's just a really lovely ally for calming the nervous system and feeling more soft sweetness and connection to spirit. So that's a little bit about passion flower. Thanks, Jules. Yeah, uh, passion flower sounds like it could be very supportive in a moment that might be a little bit disillusioning. Like it just it just sounds like a gentle plant that could support you in one of those like light bulb moments that aren't exactly pleasant to feel when it comes to love and romance. Definitely. Yeah. And a lot of the herbs that we talk about aren't safe for pregnancy just because the majority of herbs sadly aren't, aren't, aren't super safe for pregnancy, some more than others. Uh, but passion flower is, is a good ally for pregnant folks who uh, might have difficulty with sleep or stress. All right, moving on. On Friday, May 5th, we have a full moon in Scorpio. And um, this is on me. I don't always remember to uh, include the full moon in our forecast. Somehow I always remember the new moon, but sometimes I just forget the full moon. Don't know what that's about. But anyway, on Friday, May 5th, we will have a full moon in Scorpio happening at around 1.30 p.m. Eastern time in the United States or 10.30 a.m. Pacific time, which is Jules's time. This full moon is going to be a penumbral lunar eclipse. And Lunar eclipses always follow solar eclipses. So anytime you have a solar eclipse, two weeks later, you're going to have a lunar eclipse. And like vice versa, a lunar eclipse is always preceded by a solar eclipse by two weeks. So here we have the opposition between the sun in Taurus and the moon in Scorpio. And the moon in Scorpio is going to pass through the shadow of the Earth while it's behind us relative to the sun from our perspective. And uh, this is the full moon following the new moon solar eclipse in Aries of Wednesday, April 19th, or Thursday, April 20th, depending on your time zone, which is the day that Jules and I are recording this episode. Uh, so yeah, so two weeks from now, we're going to get a full moon in Jules's sun sign. Scorpio, she's a Scorpio, watch out people. She'll get you. The last full moon on April 5th was in Libra. And that full moon was all about truth and balance and justice. Like I felt that really hard. I don't know if anybody else felt it hard, but I felt the last full moon on April 5th pretty hard. Had some harsh truths revealed to me through the vessel of a dude I like. So that was really exciting. Uh, I'm glad we have moved on from the Libra full moon and are going toward the full moon lunar eclipse on this Taurus Scorpio axis. So yeah, pay attention to the difference in manifestations between that full moon in Libra and this upcoming full moon in Scorpio. Because while Libra, again, is all about like truth and balance and justice, Scorpio 
is all about sexuality, energy exchange, death, transformation, like all of this tantric stuff that Jules and I like love to wallow in. Um, that's what this full moon is going to be about. And then you'll have a hint of sensuality and materialism and pleasure, courtesy of the sun in Taurus. And uh, just to speak a little to lunar eclipses, since we spoke about solar eclipses last time, when I think of a lunar eclipse, I think of seeing who we are behind our egos. Like we are literally seeing what the moon is made of without the light of the sun reflecting off it. So metaphorically, we are seeing the substance of the moon which represents instinct and intuition without the reflection of the light from the sun, which represents the ego. Like this is an opportunity to catch a glimpse of what we are beneath the ego. It's very special. Um, I'll never forget watching the total lunar eclipse of April 4th, 2015 from my balcony at Esalen overlooking the Pacific Ocean. I know life was so hard back then. So during this eclipse, the moon hung over the Pacific Ocean near the constellation of Scorpio. And at almost the exact moment that the eclipse reached totality, I saw three shooting stars pass through Scorpio. And it was at that moment that I fell in love with eclipses. And that was also when I had this revelation of seeing the substance behind the ego during a lunar eclipse. So a full moon lunar eclipse is a very good opportunity just to get in touch with yourself and again see who you really are see like what what you're made of what your substance is beneath the light of your ego that is so often like obscuring for yourself and for other people like who you truly are like what your intentions really are Jules what do you have for us around the, the full moon in your sun sign. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I just had flashbacks to being at Esalen and Big Sur, and I think I saw at least two lunar eclipse blood moons while, while I was there, and both of them were from the hot tubs. And yeah, it was a very special time, so now I'm feeling all nostalgic. Uh, but thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, so like Tony mentioned, during a lunar eclipse, the moon is completely covered by the Earth's shadow, which really I, intensifies the astrological energies and can bring about, you know, more sudden changes or endings to things. And as Scorpio is a water sign, it is associated with really deep emotions, intuition, and the subconscious mind. I like to think of this lunar eclipse as alchemical transformation and like the epitome of shadow work. I think that this will be a really good opportunity to do shadow work and look within, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But yeah, Scorpio is associated with the transformation and regeneration and it's kind of about releasing the old and embracing something new. We probably won't get to that newness right away during the lunar eclipse, but really just like 
getting clear on what's no longer working. Lunar eclipses, especially in Scorpio, are going to bring up intense emotions. And it's a really good opportunity to explore the subconscious mind and delve deeper into introspection. Uh, Looking at your fears might be a good opportunity to do some inner fear processing. I actually developed something called befriending fear and it is something I've worked on with some of my coaching clients and it's this process of seeing fear as like an acquaintance rather than this scary unknown thing that we are so afraid of. So with fear, you know, say you have a mutual friend, right? You have someone who's like your best friend and they have another good friend who you've heard a lot about and maybe met once and you feel intimidated by them and or you feel like, you know, they're taking away something from your relationship uh, with, with the other friend. And so you, you know, might have some sort of like fear around that relationship. But then the three of you go and hang out and you have a great time and you're like, oh, this is actually a really cool person. We're probably not going to be BFFs or hang out all the time, but I feel more relaxed about it. That's the type of relationship I think that we can have with fear. We're not going to be BFFs with our fears, but we can disarm them and learn to be in okay relationship with them. So that is, you know, a kind of longer process, but the first step in that process is to acknowledge what the fears are. And when we can acknowledge something, it kind of disempowers it. I think some people feel the opposite. Like if they acknowledge something, it's going to be more in their psyche. But really, if we're not acknowledging it, it's just living in our subconscious. And we're afraid to think about it. We're afraid to talk about it. But then once we do, there's that sense of relief and ease that hits our bodies. So first step is to acknowledge it. And I would start there. And if you're interested in learning more about befriending fear and my processes around that, feel free to email me or reach out. And I'm happy to either set up a consultation with you or just have more of a conversation about it. So kind of back to this uh, lunar eclipse, I think some other things that we're going to see are power struggles and control issues. Uh, Scorpio is associated with power. And during this lunar eclipse, we may find ourselves wanting to exert control over our situation, over our relationships. And this is a good opportunity to examine our personal motivations and try to find more inner harmony with our interactions with others and not just try to control all the situations because that is a very Scorpio quality. And in some situations, it can be helpful, but here in relationships, it's usually not helpful. Another theme that we're going to see is um, enhanced sexual energy. And so this could be, you know, really positive. It could be uh, the desire to enhance sexual connections with partners and embrace vulnerability and really like cultivate a deeper connection with your intimate partner. So I think that that can be really powerful. 
but yeah, just kind of getting on the same page with your partner is, is part of that um, exchange. Yeah, and so since there's also going to be an opposition between the sun in Taurus and the moon in Scorpio, which I think will be creating tension between our practical self and our deep emotional self. And we'll see like this budding heads of wanting to like be in the secure, stable Taurus earth sign energy and the intense emotional transformative energy of Scorpio. And so that'll look like needing to balance practicality with emotions you know, you might notice this like internal struggle with that. And so just trying to get clear on what your emotions are and then, you know, looking at them and noticing if you can implement your wants and needs practically or ask for what your wants and needs are. Um, So I'm kind of marrying those two together. And a need for intimacy and trust is going to be really important And like I kind of already mentioned, intimacy is really important during the lunar eclipse. And because Taurus is associated with physical touch and sensual pleasures, and then Scorpio is connected to that like carnal energy, there's going to be that craving of emotional as well as sexual intimacy. And then we have financial matters uh, because Taurus is connected to finances and material possessions and Scorpio is sometimes associated with joint finances and resources I think in relationships there might be issues around shared resources Um, this could be with business partnerships as well but I think basically the major themes of this lunar eclipse is transformation working through your fears deep intense emotional states and intimacy and sexuality and being able to like clearly communicate your wants needs and desires without coming across too controlling and yeah so on like a physical side Scorpio is associated with the reproductive organs and so with this lunar eclipse I would say it's maybe a good opportunity to like if you're trying to get pregnant it could be a good opportunity to focus on that but There also could be issues related to fertility coming up or other reproductive health issues, uh, sexual health issues might arise. So definitely like more attention to the reproductive organs is something I think would be helpful. And so the herb that I recommend for this eclipse is Damiana. The Latin name is Ternera diffusa and Damiana is one of my favorite herbs. It just, it tastes amazing. Actually, Hawthorne and Damiana, both of which I talked about today, were in this love cordial that I made and gave as a wedding favor. And it has this wonderful ability to calm nervous tension really deeply, but it's also a very strong aphrodisiac that boosts libido. And so it's really great for performance anxiety. So for people who have erectile dysfunction issues, it can be very supportive because it can help people get out of their heads and into their body calm, but then activated in the libido. And it's also just a reproductive tonic for all genders. 
It's a digestive aid. It's super anti-inflammatory with an affinity for pelvic inflammation in particular. Uh, it's even, you know, used for prostate issues. Uh, so it, it has a variety of beneficial health issues and is connected to Pluto. It really holds that transformative energy of Pluto and the ability to get really deep and dark and face those fears and uh, go after your desires. So that is a little bit about the lunar eclipse and working with Damiana. I think in T form is, is a really great way, but honestly, any form is good, whatever you're called to. And that is not safe during pregnancy, but it can help with fertility. So interesting. Yeah, my first thought is like, really? It's associated with Pluto? Because, uh, yeah, I would think of Damiana as more of like a Venusian herb or the moon, maybe even. No, not even the moon, but like it's the... I just know like the first time I encountered Damiana many years ago, like before I met you, I remember the person recommending it to me called it a heart opener. Um, it may have even been like in a mushroom chocolate or something like, like mixed into a mushroom chocolate. And uh, yeah, so that's like the association I have with Damiana is like a heart opener. And while like Pluto is definitely associated with transformation and transformation can open your heart in unexpected ways. It's like interesting to me to make the association between Damiana and Pluto. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts can, on like why? Yeah, I can see how someone might consider Damiana a heart opener. That's not really how I would describe it, but I think because it's an aphrodisiac and I think it is disarming. It, it helps us like get more into our body and feel in a relaxed state and then activates the libido. So if you're interested in someone romantically, that could feel very heart opening in the moment, even though it's not necessarily like heart opening the way Hawthorne is. But it is, you know, it is very like loving and it has, it's, it's a sunny yellow flower. So I could see it being correlated to the sun as well, but it just goes a lot deeper and it's, it's really powerful, but it's also really subtle. And that's kind of how I think of Ludo is that it's, it's, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's subtle and powerful at the same time. I used to, I mean, I still make them, but I don't really focus on it, but I make these planetary anointing oils and I used to sell them and vend them at a lot of markets and whatnot. And the Pluto one did have Damiana in it just a little bit. It was like a Damiana infused oil, but it had other, other things in it. And sometimes people would come up to my table and they would smell it and they would be like, I don't smell anything. And then I put it up to mine. I was like, whoa, it smells strong. Or some people would come up and be like, whoa, that's really potent. And so it had this different effect on different people. It was the only one that did that, where either people just couldn't smell it at all or it was super strong. And either they liked it or they didn't like it. But I think it has this way of like integrating subtly, but making huge impacts in our life. And yeah, I kind of feel that way about Damiana. But, you know, there's different associations with all the planets. Like Culpepper might have said this 
and then Paracelsus might have said this and whatever. But from my understanding, a lot of people agree that it's Pluto, which again is an outer planet, which wasn't discovered until, you know, the 20th century. So in traditional correlations, I'm actually not sure what planet it was correlated to. I would think so the Saturn, Sun, or Venus could be any of them. That is so interesting that different people had different reactions to Pluto. That was actually the very first of your planetary roll-ons that I bought from you. Like I eventually bought the whole set, but that was the one, that was the first one that I bought. And I was like, I need this. I need this Pluto stuff right now. (laughs) Yeah, that was one of the most popular ones. It was either people wanted it and like only that, or they were just like, oh, don't want and I don't want anything to do with that and so it kind of to me just like signified where people were at like either people were ready for doing their shadow work or they weren't my god who would we be like who would we would have never met if we weren't both on like the plutonian path (laughs) yeah yeah and it's for sure and it's funny because we're like talking about a, a lunar eclipse but like eclipses are transformative and in a way that like is that echoes Pluto and Plutonian transformation. So the connection like makes sense, but I'm still tripping on the Belladonna. Deterra. Yeah. I'm still tripping on like the Deterra flower essence and that that's a thing that people work with and like, how can I get me some of that? I really wanted to that to you. It's all good. I really wanted to have some to work with um, today on the new moon solar eclipse in Aries, but I think ultimately it's good that I'm not working with it right now because I, I don't think I have the time to like go super deep into shadow work at this moment, but Mm. soon, soon. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually pretty indicated for the lunar eclipse too. So I think mm. yeah, I'll try to I'll try to get on top of mailing that to you. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you. I also um this is side note, this is just about me, but I have my Jupiter returns on uh Sunday is my exact Jupiter return for the third one. Exciting. I know it's really exciting. I'm stoked. It's happening in my seventh house of contractual relationship, sometimes called the house of marriage. And I am very excited to start a new Jupiter cycle. The last the last 12 years around one-on-one relationship and contractual relationship have been like a lot of learning. And I know it will continue to be like the next cycle will also be a lot of learning, but I'm just hoping that I have like more of a knowledge base around like what a Jupiter cycle entails and how to navigate it this time around so that I'm a little more picky. What's the word I'm looking for? A little more discerning, Mm -hmm. right? With the types of contractual relationships that like the type of contracts I make, the type of commitments I make like the people I allow into my life in a committed capacity. So yeah, thanks for letting me share that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I'd really work with Jupiter energy, like create an altar to Jupiter 
and get some forage and sage and cedar and get into those Jupiter vibes, cultivate a deeper relationship with this deity and call in whatever you're looking to call in. Yeah. Yeah. Get some. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening to another episode with us. We hope that your eclipse season is going well and is fruitful and hopefully not too detrimental, (laughs) but ultimately it's all leading us to more inner understanding. Correct. Absolutely. I'm going to piggyback off what Jules said and just say, I wish everyone peace. I wish you all peace through this season of eclipses and chaos. And um, if you'd like to get in contact with us, our email address is theherbalastrologypodcast at gmail.com. You can reach either Jules or I through that email address. And uh, Jules, is there anything else you want to add before we close out the episode? No, not really. Just thankful to be recording with you. And yeah, well, I will say that I offer medical astrology readings that people can book on my website, uh, boss-witch.com. And for the month of May, I have two openings. So for anyone interested in learning more about their health and how herbs can be related to their health specifically and predispositions and whatnot, then I'd be happy to work with you. Sweet. Yes. And I've, I've had many sessions from Jules over the years and can endorse you as someone who it's very beneficial to work with as a practitioner helped me a lot through through different types of transitions oh thank you i appreciate that we will be back in two weeks with episode eight of the herbal astrology podcast thank you for listening bye jules bye tony